there's only 16,000 feet of breathable air. And so hyperlocal means data that's relevant to me, relevant to my family, to my community, to my business, because I'm actually understanding emissions at that hyperlocal location. Hey everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Google Cloud SaaS podcast series, How I Launched This, a SaaS Story. The very first of many. Judging by the guests that we have on today, I think we are going to be good. And who you just heard talking was Carter Morgan, developer advocate for Google Cloud. And not to mention, he's also an up-and-coming stand-up comedian. And where are you located? I'm in New York. And where are you located, Steph? I am in San Francisco. All right. Let me introduce you. Stephanie Wong is a developer advocate at Google Cloud and, and most importantly, a hip-hop champ. Like, she actually has a gold medal in hip-hop dancing. (laughs) All right. I think this actually isn't that far off topic because we are going to be dancing around the subject of the players and technology and the inspirations of today's biggest SaaS success stories. Okay, that was a smooth transition. So this is where we'll be bringing on founders of SaaS companies and learning from the most innovative players in the game, right? Yes, because obviously there's a need in the industry for SaaS CXOs to hear from and learn from each other on best practices for building SaaS products. So we're super excited because we are actually going to be covering everything from industry trends to unique problems that SaaS product leaders are solving out there right now. And what I really want to dig into are the problems that SaaS product leaders have solved, the infrastructure choices, and some of the lessons they learned. And, of course, their successes and failures. We want to pass off all of this knowledge to you so that you can get an idea of where these players were, where the market is today, and where we're all heading. So with that, Steph, who are we talking with today? So speaking of unique problems, I am excited because today we are talking to Acclima. And Acclima is based in San Francisco. They actually are solving a really important problem and challenge with climate change and air pollution And what they do is they deliver hyper-local air pollution and climate emissions intelligence with their air quality mapping and analysis platform. Uh, So what their product does is it empowers people, governments, companies, researchers, and the public to diagnose air quality problems so they can support reducing emissions and protecting public health at both the local and the global level. So today we are speaking with Davida Herzl, CEO and founder of Acclima, and Robert Murphy, VP of Strategy and Business Development. Davida is an entrepreneur by DNA who leads engineers, scientists, business leaders, and designers who are committed to building technology that serves humanity and enables world-changing business innovation. And Robert has worked in many locations around the world, utilizing an interrelated mixture of strategic planning, business development, corporate development, public policy, and financial and data analytics skills to deliver Acclima's corporate strategy. So thank you so much for joining us, Davida and Robert. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. No problem at all. So could you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. So I'm Davida Herzl, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Acclima. And we've been, for the last 10 years, building a platform that really empowers cities and citizens and governments um, and companies to take action to reduce emissions. We're doing that by mapping air quality at what we call the hyperlocal level using sensors deployed on vehicles. And then we stitch that data together and we serve it up to our customers in a SaaS platform that provides visualization and analytics that enables them to very quickly take action to identify those emissions and then take action to reduce them. 
That's great. And we're sitting here today in San Francisco, and I know that your office is also located here. What's the story behind yourself and a little bit more about where you started from and how you got here today? Yeah. So 10 years ago, when I started the company, I started the company because I was very frustrated with the conversation around tech and sustainability and climate change and just realized that there was a really big opportunity for technology to play a very big role in helping society address pollution and emissions. When you think about the problem of air pollution or climate change, it's It's really easy to understand when you think about it from like 20,000 feet. There's only 16,000 feet of breathable air. That layer of air that encompasses the planet is what supports life. It's what protects us from space. It is what makes life possible. And with increasing urbanization and more people on the planet, um, we're putting more and more pollution into that really thin layer of breathable air. And so everything we know about climate, about pollution, we know at a global scale. But to take action to reduce those emissions, we need to understand it locally in our cities and our communities and our companies and really sort of realize that technology and the convergence of IoT and sensors and computing and cloud was going to enable us to make this layer of information ubiquitous and accessible to everybody. And so we set out to realize that vision. And here we are 10 years later. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. And then so something I'm curious about, you said IoT and and technologies like that. Was that where you started with Acclima, like right away with sensors and software as a service? Yes. So we actually, you know, adapted our model over time. But yes, we did start really focusing on the sensors and making sure that, you know, we were delivering really the best data quality. Because if we want people to empower people to make decisions with this data, we need to make sure that we're delivering scientifically rigorous data that people can trust. And so for a long time, we were spending a lot of our energy on ensuring that we were delivering that high-quality data. But cloud technologies matured as we were developing that technology, and it really enabled us to really do this at a scale that was never possible before. So it was really that combination of innovation and investing in the sensing capabilities alongside all of the power that cloud computing gives us to really take this to scale. So it's been a really exciting period to be doing all of this. And you mentioned, you know, bringing in cloud technology and the innovation. What did the landscape look like before and the challenges that were faced with measuring local air quality? Historically, air quality has been measured with very large, expensive equipment that really hasn't seen a lot of evolution over the last 30 or 40 years. Very few of those devices that are deployed in cities are actually even until recently connected to the Internet. You literally had to go and pull out SD cards and download data from the equipment. And because it's very difficult and very large and difficult to deploy, you end up with very few stations. So in the city in the city of San Francisco, as an example, there's just one official monitor to help us understand what air quality looks like here. And in cities around the world, there's sometimes no measurement at all. There's entire countries without data. And so the convergence of sensors and cloud and distributed computing enables us to miniaturize that sensor technology and really make it ubiquitous and deployed much more broadly. Yeah, that's excellent. That makes me wonder about hyperlocal. When you say hyperlocal, I know that a lot of times people generally don't record this kind of data around, like, say, factories or anything like that. 
How is that changing now? Historically, you know, you had just a few devices or monitors in a city, for example, you would end up with just sort of a general understanding of what was happening, a general understanding of climate emissions, a general understanding of pollution. And what we're now really able to do with our technology is understand emissions and pollution hotspots block by block. And so hyperlocal means, you know, data that's relevant to me, relevant to my family, to my community, to my business, because I'm actually understanding emissions at that hyperlocal location. So it makes data relevant, it makes it actionable, and it empowers potentially millions and maybe one day billions of people to really take action locally that aggregates and adds up to big global change. You were mentioning a little bit about um, having only one in San Francisco previously, and I'm just thinking back to when we had that crisis with the fires in Northern California, and it's spreading over the Bay Area, and I'm just imagining how useful it could be to collect big data around a region that large. Yeah, absolutely. So it was actually through our partnership with Google and the work that we'd been doing uh, for years with the Google Street View team, where we were really validating this approach that we showed with a groundbreaking scientific paper that showed that pollution is not just hyperlocal, but highly variable. So on a single city block, on one end of the street, you can have one level of pollution. And on the other end, it can be five or eight times higher. And those hotspots can be persistent for an entire year. And when you look at things like wildfire events or sort of these big events, uh, those impacts aren't equally distributed. They affect different parts of the city, different communities, different schools in different ways. And so that data is really important to be able to take action to protect public health. Right. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you work with local communities and the government and what kind of impact it's it's continuing to make to its inhabitants and how you kind of see that collaboration going forward. It's an incredibly important collaboration because this challenge of reducing emissions, of, of reducing pollution is something that we're really all in together. It's something that requires all sectors of society. And so we're really proud of the fact that our data is supporting a conversation between governments and between citizens and industry to really help move the needle on reducing those emissions. So we're very committed to continually be in conversation with those communities that are impacted and working closely with them, but also with with regulators and and industry. It's amazing. That is mind-blowing because I think Right now, it, it's it's hard to know how we can take steps to actually impact change. Right. And you've gone and you've found a solution where you can kind of show with data the effects of, of some of the things that are happening in our air. You know, I think one of the big struggles and challenges when we talk about climate is that it's a big global problem that feels very difficult to take action towards. But when we actually provide the data to show how you can, to one, surface the problem locally and two, take action locally, that's an incredibly empowering thing. One of our first eureka moments when we were prototyping the technology was exactly that. We actually deployed sensors at a Montessori school, and there was, uh, on one side of the street, they could see that levels of pollution were increasing in the morning at the school, and very quickly discovered that it was idling trucks that were idling on the other side of the road. And, um, And the principal was able to take the data, go to the truck drivers and say, hey, can we work together 
to actually, you know, protect protect the kids. And so very quickly, they agreed on the spot to a policy where they were going to, you know, turn off the trucks in the morning, the idling engines, and um, they were able to see the pollution drop. And so it was one of these moments where it was like, oh, data can really drive truly hyper-local solutions to protect the planet and protect public health. This is great. I actually do want to pivot and kind of talk about the SaaS platform and the infrastructure behind it, because I think the stack that you've built is, you know, really incredible. It's been phenomenal. In terms of the technical side and the platform, we're an IoT company in the sense of deploying very broad scale networks around urban environments and suburban environments and rural environments. And so we have a lot of hardware in the field to manage and a lot of sort of the data processing at the edge and in sort of in the cloud and all of the sort of the technical work to make all of that happen. And then at the same time, then we're delivering that data and those insights through SaaS-based tools, whether it to be individuals or to organizations. And so we really run a very broad range of technical requirements to empower all of this. And so our needs have changed and grown over time as we're bringing more data in. Our needs to be able to sort of process the data, store it, access it quickly and affordably have really sort of morphed and changed very quickly. And it all goes back to the user experience at the end of the day. If we had tried to do this 10 or 20 years ago, most of the pieces of the technology stack wouldn't have been available. And I think we're, we're benefiting from a lot of the trends in the industry that are making this very sort of exciting model possible. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just having to adapt with the technology landscape is part of being a successful SaaS company these days. Right. And I think our customers expect it. There's an expectation of really that software product being responsive to your needs. And so I think as an enterprise SaaS solution, you know, really important that we're meeting the customer where they're at and at their highest level of sort of expectation for that responsiveness and for the ease of using the tool and that it's really supporting decision making and that we're removing the friction from that experience. And it wouldn't be possible without this model. I presume that you've also been handling an exceptional growth in the volume of data that you're collecting as well. And we were talking a little bit offline about how you're now continuing to accept third-party data and, um, you know, other user-generated data. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to create and enable a better conversation between all these stakeholders who are involved in sort of improving air quality and tackling climate change. And part of that is this data. So by putting the data in the hands of individuals, of school districts, of cities, of air quality regulators, we're making sure that everybody who has different levers to pull to make improvements has a data available to them. That's how we start to peel it all back and figure out what is the best path forward together. I want to hone in a little bit more on this physical data capture. And so use Google Street View for that and mobile air sensors. Yes. So what we've done is we've we've really pioneered an entirely new approach to measuring air quality and emissions. And the way we're doing that is that we specially designed sensor hardware that we've developed that delivers very high data quality comparable to sort of the what's called reference or laboratory-grade equipment. And then that gets installed into fleets of vehicles. And as those vehicles are driving around cities, we're collecting, you know, those measurements about all of those different pollutants. And we measure everything from CO2 and carbon monoxide, black carbon, to things like PM2.5 and methane. And as that data is is streaming to the back end, we're stitching it together and creating these hyper-local maps that help us really see where these emissions hotspots are and how they change over time. We partnered with the Google Street View team and Google Earth Outreach over multiple years to validate this methodology. 
there was a two-year demonstration project here in the state of California where we mapped areas across Los Angeles, the Central Valley, and then the Bay Area. And that culminated in this groundbreaking scientific publication that we did in partnership with um, academics and nonprofits and community organizations that demonstrated this hyperlocal nature of air pollution, but also validated this methodology of using vehicles to do this. And so since then, uh, Google has announced that we are scaling across a subset of the Street View fleet. This year, early next, there will be 50 Street View cars that are going out with our technology integrated. And as we're providing our service to customers, we either deploy our own fleet or we partner with other third-party fleets or city fleets uh, to deploy the sensors in cities and very quickly generate this really impactful data. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it was like to put them out on Street View cars and were there any kind of fun stories that happened along the way? The minute you're talking about putting a sensor in a in the physical world on a moving vehicle, having it sending data back in real time, working with drivers, it's extremely complex. One of the first deployments that we did with Google Street View was in Denver. And we were just starting in the middle of a pretty insane storm. And it was a surprise we hadn't thought about, well, how do you deal with collecting air quality when it's like a monsoon, right? And so and so that was one of our first experiences actually instrumenting street view cars. But yeah, it's extremely complex. You know, you have to ensure that you're measuring what's called ambient air, that you're not measuring pollution from other cars or from your car. Um, so even the way you do the sampling has to be just right in terms of, you know, ensuring you're doing it in a scientifically rigorous way. We're talking about a moving car, right, a car that's moving through space and air that's coming in through a tube and you have to timestamp and geolocate every single sample of air. So you're you know, moving through three-dimensional space, and it's really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, like I said before, we're a really complicated little company, and we're trying to do something big. And again, like if we didn't have some of the tools at our disposal, it wouldn't be possible. But for us, yeah, the reality is that as I said, you know, we're a full-stack company in the truest sense of the word, and it really goes all the way through to even our user experience and sort of the customer takeaway at the end of it. And so if we don't plan logistically the right way and a driver gets sick, that will affect the data collection and ultimately the data quality. And so what we bring to all of this is sort of the novel technology to sort of get this done. But I think it, it gets to the idea that a lot of organizations, whether they're public sector or private sector, want to do something proactive and positive around climate change. So as we show up in new locations, we get a lot of outreach from various fleets saying, hey, like, we would love to host your nodes. Um, and then how does that work? Yeah, it's that kind of moonshot thinking that's yeah. gotten to where we are today. Yeah, we call it earthshot thinking. Earthshot thinking, that's yeah. great. So it's crazy to me because some of the challenges you have to deal with, like business is hard and starting a company is hard. How have you had to like adapt the business model? Because I'm sure there's been so many things that have come from left field that you couldn't have planned for. That's every, <laughs> that's every, every day. day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's every day, right? I mean, I mean, at a high level, I think that, you know, as companies, as businesses, we're operating in an increasingly kind of complex environment. And for us, it really comes down to culture, right? And we have a really mission-driven team that is committed to sort of working through the hard stuff and sticking together when it gets hard on every dimension. And that's something I'm really, really proud of. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the benefits of having a mission-driven organization. And so I'll say it really the key is is that it's the team and, and our capacity to sort of push through all the hard stuff because we know we're doing this for the right reasons. With that, are there any technology best practices that you would say are essential in building a SaaS company? 
I think one of the really important parts of how you set yourself up for success is by really focusing on the user and really understanding the user's need. Um, first, it's amazing sometimes when you ask the question, who, who is your user, right? Really understanding what their workflow looks like, what problems you're helping them solve. That inf- really helps to inform the technology decisions that you're making, your roadmaps, but it really has to start with the user. And we found that to be really transformative for us. And because there's so many potential users of our data, that can actually be really hard. And so, you know, we have to walk this balance between being really focused, you know, on our initial verticals, our initial groups of users, and then growing from there, um, because they're the ones that ultimately make us successful. If we can empower them to serve their communities, to serve their cities, then we're doing our job. And just throughout this whole conversation, I've been so impressed, like, every ever statement is like the impact, the customer, the impact, and then the focus on the mission. And, And so I think maybe that's a large part of why you all are so impactful is you're focused on that. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, we hope so, right? I mean, our mission is to help create a more environmentally intelligent society. And that's a big mission. Google's mission is to help organize the world's information. That's a huge mission. But I think for us, it really is what galvanizes what is inherently very interdisciplinary team. We have atmospheric scientists working alongside electrical engineers, working alongside data scientists and folks that do machine learning. Like you literally have people that all speak different languages. And so they have to want to talk to each other and work together. And mission is is sort of what pulls us together. So yeah, it's what makes us us. Yeah, the way I see it is that in tech, it's like dog years. Everything happens very quickly. It's as if it were, you know, what would happen in the span of 10 years before. Right. Do you see any SaaS trends that are going to be coming into fruition in the next five Mm -hmm. years? Well, I think one of the most exciting SaaS trends is that SaaS is starting to enter industry verticals that historically haven't had access to these tools. Like in the regulatory market, there hasn't been a lot of, like when we talk about air regulators, they really haven't had access to software-driven, big data, analytics tools that help make their jobs easier this way. And so I think there's a huge opportunity to help to transform some of these industries because SaaS, you know, is a much lower friction way to actually bring that technology into these industries. And so I think that's a really, really exciting development, you know, whether you're talking about government or other big enterprise verticals. Something else I'm curious about, and and I kind of should have asked this earlier, because a lot of what you do is probably also managing people and teams. So it's not just the technology. And so I'm curious if you want to talk about how the team at Aquama has grown or how the size of the company or anything and, and managing the people. That's my number one job is sort of figuring out how to adapt our team as we scale. You know, as I was sharing, we are fundamentally interdisciplinary. Like, our team reflects the stack, right, Um, from sensors all the way to front end. And so there's people behind every single element of that stack. And I think solving these big, hairy, audacious problems requires bringing interdisciplinary teams together. And so I'll just say that's that's really, really hard to do because it's not just sort of a team of software engineers, right, or a team of hardware engineers. So that's really hard to do. It's also just extremely rewarding. We started out, you know, with a really small team. We're now at almost 50 and then, you know, continuing to expand from there. So it's a really, really exciting time, but also growth comes with all of its own challenges. Yeah, I think grassroots growth is 
it's just a great way to have a community be built um, that believes in your mission. And I really believe in that as well. First of all, thank you so much for both of you to be in the studio with us today in San Francisco. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to add? Anything that we missed? You know, I think the last thing I would say is just when we think about these big global problems that we're dealing with, whether it's climate or, you know, or, or water or you know, deforestation, again, it's just a really exciting time to be able to bring all of these tools together to really address those problems at the scale and the pace of urgency that's needed. You know, when we think about the climate crisis or air pollution, we need to work quickly in order to really have an impact to get this data and these tools into the hands of as many users as possible. And it feels like things are coming together, you know, at the right time in terms of the technology to enable us to really meet that need at that scale and pace. We are so excited for this continued partnership with Google Cloud and Acclima. And again, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Steph, that was absolutely amazing. Wow. Yeah, I learned so much. I had no idea about the existing landscape with air quality measurements. I mean, climate change, again, is such a big issue that seems beyond the scope of individual cities and individuals within that city, but it really affects us on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool just seeing like some of the examples, you know, starting from a classroom and just how can we fix this for our children, all the way up to affecting policy at, at like a state level. That's amazing to me. Yeah, and it's a really big, noble mission that they have. And it's interesting to connect how the infrastructure and technology that's required to support their mission. Big data and IoT sensors and these kind of large data infrastructure problems, that's not a small feat. No, and it's weird because I had never even considered like, oh, I can attach a business to things that already exist, like Google cars that are running around. And so to be able to leverage things like that, I think it's genius. And what Acclima is doing is genius. Thanks again, everyone, for checking out this first episode of Google Cloud's How I Launched This. A sad story. Uh, Steph and I learned a lot from Acclima, and we hope you did too. So we're going to be bringing on guests from companies doing some of the most innovative work in the SaaS field. Yeah, so stay tuned again for our next episode. If you want to keep up to date with the latest on SaaS, Google Cloud, and this show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, follow GCP Cloud on Twitter, and give us a share. Yeah, and just reach out to Steph and I with suggestions, comments, questions. We'd love to keep the conversation going online. Check out the show notes for more info on Acclima and how you can engage with Carter and I, and we will see you next time.